Welcome to Vestra Stay of Mind. I'm your host, Geraint Jones. How are you guys? Uh, happy New Year. Well, we've already had episodes in the New Year, but this is my first time in the studio in the New Year. Hope it's going well for you. Hope you are kicking lots of ass. Got a great guest on the podcast today. Before we get to him, just want to say a thank you to our sponsors for today's episode. Combat Fuel. You know how I feel about Combat Fuel. You know how I feel about Juicy Gains in general. I've been using their vegan protein for a good amount of time now. And people say, guess, are you a vegan? No, my friends, I'm not a vegan. However, I do appreciate a good vegan protein. Um, I just feel, one, I love the taste of it. And two, I just feel it's kind of on my gastric system, so to speak. Uh, And uh, I've been using the pre-workouts, used the pump-up. I used the regular pre-workout. I just had someone message me, actually. She was saying, is it supposed to tingle like this? Bump, bump. That's what she said. Well, it was actually what she said. Uh, and yes, it is supposed to tingle like that. Uh, I believe, is that beta alanine? I'm pretty much scientist head on for a minute. You know, I like to get scientists in on this podcast. Um, yeah, guys, pre-workout, I like to mix them. I put two scoops of the pump up and I put half a scoop with the regular pre-workout. Strawberry and lime flavor is what I go for. And then on the days, some days, I'm not really bothered about a pump up, aka legs days. And on legs days... I go for a big old scoop of the regular. Joe does two scoops, but that is because Joe is mental. Personally, I just do one scoop. Otherwise, I feel like i got ants crawling out from under my skin. No, thank you, sir. Uh, also, they have Mountain Joe bars that I'm a massive fan of. If you haven't tried those, get them. If you're serving in the military or if you're a walker or something, you like to go for the walks. Wow, we're not allowed to go for them. Then... Um, Check out Mountain Joe Bars because they've got really good ratios of carbs, fats, and proteins. And the main thing is they just taste absolutely delicious. Usually when I get the box uh, from the Combat Fuel lads, I've usually gone through half the box in the first day. My cat's also a big fan of them. There you go. But don't feed your cat too much chocolate because it can be dangerous for them. Veteran State of Mind bring you all kinds of facts and figures. All right, let's get to today's guest. His name is Jamie Flynn. He was in The Reg, a.k.a. The Parachute Regiment, um, he was in Afghanistan 2006 with Free Para. He was in um, Iraq with SFSG, went back out to Afghanistan with SFSG. Uh, he lives in Canada at the moment. He's one of these interesting individuals whose pastime is throwing themselves off a mountain and then deploying a shopping bag over their head as a parachute. That's about what it looks like to me. Uh, he's a base jumper, very good base jumper. <laughs> I suppose you got to be a base jumper or you're not around for a good base jumper or you're not around for very long, are you, really? If you're a shit base jumper, you probably only ever do the one jump. Um, Jamie's had some pretty bad accidents, actually, and you can even find footage of that online. But let's get to him, shall we? It's a really interesting episode. And we're going to have Jamie back on again to talk about some virtual reality and stuff because you know I love a bit of that. Um, all right, guys, let's get to the episode. Please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Jamie Flynn. Jamie, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Getting me up early to, to come and have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny though, mate, is like, to be fair, you're saying early, right? It's eight o'clock where you are. I'll be I'll be one hundred percent honest. That is that is super early for me these days too. <laughs> Man, I'm like working at night times, you know, I get home at like two in the morning. Yeah, so it's kinda like, yeah. Whatever, it's my day off anyway. You, you, you work out there then? In, you're out in Canada, aren't you, at the moment? Yeah, yeah, I'm out in a place called Squamish, just south of Whistler. So it's like halfway between Whistler and Vancouver. Um, so I got my own bodyguard company. Yeah, so do close protection and whatever. I, call it, I fucking hate the word bodyguard, by the way. 
But anyway, that's the only thing Canadian. I, I was just thinking Kevin Costner now, mate. I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I say close protection company out here, and Canadians just look at you like you got a third fucking head. Yeah. Know? So you're just like, oh yeah, you bodyguards. What kind of what kind of because uh, I've the ones I've seen when I've been out in America, bodyguards like they are like walking like fucking bun lines, just massive human beings. Like what what are the guys that you got on the books out there like? Actually, on the books out here, I got three power edge guys. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm like I'm rent I'm hiring people to come over. If you want to come over, you can't work for me. Um, no, but like all the other companies out here just got meatheads that don't really know what they're doing you know they're just like big bouncers with nothing wrong with bouncers they do a good job but they're not they're not close protection guys yeah it's different it's just a different job isn't it? it's like yeah um that, that's a that's pretty cool though when you have that kind of thing going because i'm sure you probably use that as calling card for the company though as well the fact that like everyone's from the red and stuff is pretty good it, it comes in handy definitely big time it up you know like all oh, the paratroopers here <laughs> Yeah, well, I saw your picture, the Remembrance Day picture um, that you had out there, and you had two of you with the red berries, and I was like, oh, what's the chances of that? Two of them live in the same little town. Well, it's funny, <laughs> right, because actually there's, there's four of us in the same town. Yeah, one one's a uh, RAF Reg guy who was in one power. Yeah, you know, we've got the like, Marines and the RAF Reg in there. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's probably one of the better ones out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a joke about it then I thought no I thought no guys you've grown up now start, time to stop doing Raff Reg jokes no trust me I'm going to meet him later on I'm probably going to Raff Reg him up again <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we got another two power guy so yeah it's just like me and Ben were in the same company together in uh, in one power so it all it's funny that we ended up here. What's it like getting people out? I'm, I'm totally diverging from my plan for the podcast here, but I'm, I'm interested when it comes to anything getting out of Britain. So, what, 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 what's it like? Uh, how, what's the process like of moving to to, uh, to Canada? I'm sure a lot of people listening are probably going to be listening to this with notepads out. <laughs> All right, <laughs> get your notebooks out. We're ready. Um, I did it the best way possible. Um, yeah, I didn't do it. I just crossed the border with a tourist visa, and I was like, work it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's better ways of doing it uh if you're under 30 you get the holiday working visa get out here get sponsored get permanent residency that way um you can get sponsored by a company so if you have got like decent close protection credentials and you know a close protection guy who could then you know sponsor you for a job because they can't get decent canadians to do the job that's another option um and then the third one is to marry a canadian that will work. Are you open for that option too? Or are you just open to the sponsorship one? <laughs> if any dude wants to marry me, for... <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, I got to say, I've, I've had a, only had a whirlwind tour of Canada, um, but I do think it has the most essence chicks of any country that I've been to on the planet. I genuinely believe that. Absolutely. Toronto and Montreal was, I went to a couple of clubs there, mate. I was like being dragged out by my fingernails. I didn't want to, did not want to leave the place. They're just a little bit more entitled over it. That's the problem. Do you find that to you? Because yeah. I, I found the Canadians like, all, all, all right, but I suppose the problem is when you're in close proximity to America, that entitlement's going to seep out at some point. Isn't it? Maybe, it, maybe no, it's unfair to say all Canadians, actually. It's Canadians that like are close to the border in big city towns, which is like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal. You know, like when you go into the sticks, you know, like where I'm living or, or further afield, usually like people are down to earth. A little bit more redneck. How, how, how like, big is the town that you're living in out there? Oh, it's not big at all, you know. I mean, we've got a McDonald's, so it's got to be a fairly big size. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Well, what, what, what's the kind of like what you know? Most towns have something. It's kind of like industrial wise. It's known for and stuff. What is your? What is like Squamish? Is it? Is it like an outdoors centric place or, or what kind of? Yeah, so it's back in the day. It started as a logging town. Yeah, so we have all the logs. You know, the big log sort on the river when they like push them down into you know and then sell the wood or whatever. And they still do that. Yeah, dude, it's fucking yeah. That's mad. Yeah. So explain that for people that that, that might not might not have seen that. I don't really know how they do it, but what they do is when they cut down all the trees, because we've got like an endless supply up here, they then put them in the river, yeah, and make like big, huge square blocks, but just hundreds of trees. And then they'll like drag them out with a little tug down the river, yeah, to get them to the city. And then in the city, they'll get put them onto the boats and ship them to the world. And you'd be like, oh, I got Canadian wood from fucking BC. Yeah, so that's that's pretty amazing though. They just like want to chuck it in the water, and just let it, <laughs> just catch it on the other end. That that that, that that's mental. I mean, I've seen for like obviously, I got to tell people at the end of the podcast where to find you on Instagram. But the scenery of where you live, mate, it's just insane. Yeah, you can't you can't get enough. I'm about to post a, a skiing picture for Sinita's Guild today. Yeah, and it's just like fucking beautiful, like mountain. Yesterday, just like I went, got up in the morning, decided to go for a little ski. And then you just up on top of the mountain. You're like, "What the fuck? I get to live here." Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is, there, is, is there a ski resort there, or is it? Or do you just hike? Do you hike up ski down? They're in Whistler, obviously the biggest. What? Oh right, oh Whistler. Oh, so you went up to Whistler, do you? Yeah. No. And then if I go skiing where I live, you hike up and ski down. So let, let's go back to where you started from, then, mate. Where you you weren't born in, born in Squamish? Where were you from originally? Slough. Slough. <laughs> 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 nice. All right. So moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met anyone that's from Slough, mate. Isn't that one the one that's on the office? That's the town that's on the office. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that's mega. I literally never. I didn't realize anyone li- actually lived there and had families there and stuff. Oh, mate, it's fucking horrible. Uh, I don't remember too much because, like, uh, my parents split up when I was like nine, so that was like the 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 last time I remember. So you know, remember what you knew from nine. So. Mm kind of shitty my my real mum fucking dumped me on the side of the m25 with a black bin bag it was like on what way. yeah dude yeah fuck. see what hang on she dumped you on there or dumped you in a black bin bag no dumped me on the m25 with a black bin bag and was just like on your way and that's how old nine. Oh my god me yeah <laughs> so from that moment my dad decided to like take custody of me right uh, but he was a long distance truck driver so he couldn't you know it was around the summer summer holiday time so during the summer, I'd be going around Europe with him. Yeah, so that was fine. But then come September, my my dad's secretary from like the office of the company he's working for was like, hey, you can't have your nine-year-old son like homeschooled in a fucking truck by a truck driver. So um, yeah, I went and moved in with this secretary woman. Yeah, oh. yeah dude, like, <laughs> my dad's like, uh, all right, thanks, I guess. Uh, they, they had no relation at that time. And then within a year, they clearly got together. And then, you know, I was going to school there. I lived with her. Then my dad moved in with her. You know, so I actually lived with this woman before my dad did. Uh, I think I was a good... <laughs> I think I'm a good wingman. <laughs> Mate, fucking right. That's mad. That's mad. I tell you what as well, with the amount of audio books and podcasts and stuff now, you could do worse than homeschooling someone in a truck now. Yeah, I know. It'd be mega. <laughs> <laughs> Just like wall to wall audio books all day. Yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm not going to say what I was going to say next because we do have <laughs> young listeners. But mate, that, 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 that's mental then. So like what, when you, after that nine years old, 
were you a happy kid? Like, or were, or were you like, or was that like quite a, like, it sounds like an experience that would kind of fucking break, like break you really. Yeah, no, I think from that moment on, I moved, we moved down to a place called Deal in Kent. Yeah, just eight miles north of Dover. Um, so I spent most of my teenage years growing up there. Basically, yeah, I think initially I was an angry kid, you know, going through that. I, I think there was always anger growing up. But as I got through like, my teenage years, I'd become a little bit more happier and focused. I'd end up focusing more on sports at that time. Yeah, and my parents were just pushing me. You know, my family aren't an active family. But for some reason, the sports calmed me down. It focused me. You know, they gave me a skateboard and they could be like on your way. And I just so focused on just being good at skateboarding, you know, and playing rugby and whatever else. So, so what, what, what were the sport with the sports then was a mix of individual sports and team sports, was it? Yeah. So it was like rugby was a massive one. Obviously I played football, uh, wasn't very good at it. And then I did a, and then I found out that I was pretty good at like cross country running, uh, athletics, you know, like, you know, normal sports you do for like PE and stuff like that. Um, but skateboarding was definitely the sport that, uh, you know, like really focused my brain and, you know, sent me on my, on my way. I still like to this day with everything I've achieved, I always say that it was probably skateboarding that made it happen. Why was it? Well, you know, when someone's skateboarding, you're like, you, you, I don't know if you've ever skateboarded yourself, but you don't just, no, nah, you don't just get a skateboard. You just like, jump on it and you're fine. You then have to like skate and skate to get your balance then you got to do like a hundred fucking ollies before you even get a millimeter off the ground. And then you got to keep practicing, practicing, practicing until you get a little bit higher, a little bit higher. It, there, there's no like end goal. It's always, I'm always trying to improve what I'm doing, you know, and that there with that drive, I find that skateboarders seem to progress well in life because they don't just give up on things. Cause you got to keep, mm. cause you're like, oh, I've got to learn a kickflip now. What about I do a kickflip 180? And then you're just like, you're, you're learning something and then you're breaking it down and going back again to improve that one skill. Yeah. So I think that's a life lesson like that carried on through my entire life that, yeah, even if you break down, you, you just got to, you, you, you know, you know how to do it already. You just got to go back and try and change it up a bit. Yeah. That's really interesting, mate, because like with something like rugby, for instance, you could just be a big lump and get away with being good at rugby without necessarily actually having to do any improvement other than just being born as a big lump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just to be head running through everyone. <laughs> and the, the other thing that's kind of interesting about that is, like, I think around the world, skateboarders have this, um, like, this kind of, um, what's the word? Um, oh, God, I think, like, um, you know, identity that people think of them as, like, oh, just fucking lazy, like, punk kids or whatever. But like you said, like, you're not getting good at that unless you have discipline. Yeah. Because you'd never get good without the discipline. So this idea that skateboarders are like this undisciplined lot is just, it's clearly false. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, you know, they, they're definitely disciplined in what they want to be. Like all of us as humans, we, we're disciplined in what we want to be disciplined in. You know, if we don't want to do it, we're just shit at doing what we're doing. Um, and that's why when everyone says to me, oh, I just can't do it. And you're like, you can't, and you just can't be asked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mate, I was I was having a moan about that on social media yesterday because I keep seeing all these posts that like, give yourself a break, you're doing your best. I'm like, No, you're not. None of us are doing our best. Like even if you do even if you're crushing it, you've still got gears to go up. All the time. Yeah. It's absolute bollocks, mate. Now I have a look at the picture you were saying those 
um, who are saying those kind of things. And it's always some like skinny little ginger weasel who's obviously just trying to get laid, being a little, being a little simp. <laughs> Although I can't see it. I can't see a bit of ginger in those sideburns. Oh, there, mate, mate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I get it in my beard, mate, so I can't say anything. I've lost my beard. It fell off the other day. What happened to the beard, mate? It was looking good. Oh, mate. So, yeah, I even got a beard sponsor. That's a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might want to keep it in that uh, case. No, I'm, uh, I've, got, I've got firefighting school coming up. Oh. So I've got like, yeah, I've got the final practice. I've been studying for a year. So I've been doing the whole schooling or whatever. It's all online. And then the practicals like two weeks. But you need to like clean shaven for... Uh, the SCBA and everything else, you know, respirators and stuff. Mm. But I've got two weeks now until the course. I thought I'd shave it in case all my face gets irritated and blows up in spots on the course. So I didn't want to be a spotty 20-year-old again. So what, what's the, is that going to be like a full-time job that you're looking to do? Yeah, yeah. I want to, you know, something a bit more secure than security, even though security. Yeah, then there's no security in security. There's no security in security. That's, that's security. Yeah. Yeah, so anyone, mate, it's fun. I'm sure you get all the time, you get people message me like, oh, you know, how do I get into security and stuff? They haven't even been in the army yet. And they're like, how do I get into security? I'm like, don't. You might just <laughs> want to go into a different career path at this point. Like, like, yeah. like I keep saying to everyone, it's either, you know, it's feast or famine. You're either going to have a shit ton of money or you're going to eat in fucking ramen noodles, instant ramen noodles in the corner. It's funny because there was like that one or two year, really good years in Iraq. It was 20 years ago it literally it's like it's it's like saying oh, i'm moving to san francisco oh what you're gonna get into tech are you oh no i'm going for the gold rush yeah. <laughs> finished finish 200 years ago mate you gotta move on um right so get back to childhood mate yeah, yeah. When, when, when 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 did you start thinking about when, when did the military start to come into your life was that something that, that you had around you from family members or was it like did it was there a little thing in the back of your mind that you never knew where it came from how did that all come about no i was um in Deal, I don't know if you know much of it. It was uh, about the, it was like the, the band of the Royal, Royal Marines. You know, they had like a huge base down there. They'd left after the IRA bombed it, but um, fair one, yeah, <laughs> not good. <laughs> but anyway, it was all left. But the whole town, it's a small little town anyway in Kent. Um, but most guys, you know, or every other house was a fucking marine of some sort. Uh, so my best friend was, uh, his dad was a marine. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. And then someone was telling me about, oh, you want to join the army, but you, you I think, oh, Marines, whatever. And I was like 13 or something. And then I was like, they were like, oh, they've got the cadets. So yeah, I ended up being a fucking Royal Marine cadet for a bit. So what, what kind of things do Royal Marine cadets do then? Because I, I dabbled in cadets myself, but I've never really, uh, never really knew anything about the Royal Marine ones. I think it was just, uh, what do you call it? Like daycare for, <laughs> you know, like get your kids out to cadets. Oh, yeah. and learn shit. We did little... Uh, you know, learn shit, you know, about, you, you know, little attacks and tying knots and just life stuff, you know, camping, how to make rations and stuff, you know, like all these exciting stuff that everyone wants to do, you know, and battering up. It it was fun as a kid, you know, like looking back now, I was like, oh, bad shit. <laughs> to be fair, I learned a lot there, you know, like I didn't have to be taught it when I joined up. So... But I kept that quiet. I did not tell anyone. That's a top tip, mate. That's a top tip for any cadets listening to this. Do not tell any of your instructors that you were in cadets. And if you've got cadet pictures on your Instagram and you're joining the army, delete them all. <laughs> you're Never even thought about that, mate. Yeah, your fucking screws will go through it and scrutinise each and every one of you. <laughs> Sometimes, mate, you get like, you'll get, someone will be gobbing off on, on one of my pages on the social media 
And they'll have a picture in uniform and I'll be like, oh, the fuck is this person? They're gobbing off. And then you realise, you're like, hang on, this is a cadet. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got the ca- they've got the camouflage picture on there and you're like, what fucking regiment's this fucking cunt? <laughs> like, yeah, the cadet thing, mate. So I was walking recently and I walked past this woods where there's quite a, like a fast flowing river through, through it. And when we were cadets, they used to let us plan night exercises there where we'd go there and we'd just be running around in the woods by this river and crossing this river in the middle of the night. I'm like, that would never fly now. Like how like dozens of us weren't like dead at the end of it. But that's the thing is like <laughs> you can you can throw kids in a woods and into rivers and they're probably gonna be fine. Like every now and again you might have a drowned one. But generally <laughs> but generally I think like with two like like people like when I, when I went to give a talk to cadets last year that I was like, oh, can I take a picture can, with me and the kids? And they're like, oh, yeah, these kids have had their permission slip signed for that. I'm like, well, what? what? Got to get a permission slip. I wasn't like, all right, kids, get your clothes off. We're going to have a photo <laughs> shoot. But it's just, it was just, it's just, it mad me. Like, I think, like, like I agree with you, mate. Like, I think it was, I, I do think it's still a really good thing to do, especially for anyone who wants to join the military. But I'm definitely on board with what you're saying as well. <laughs> Keep it off yeah. social media. Go dark. Yeah, go go dark on that. If you're going to go dark on it, just like if you want to, you want your cadet shit on there now, like fine, but just take it off before you join the real thing because you will get rinsed. So um, when did you go to the? Uh, when did you go to Paris? And when did you sign up and go to depot? I went to Harry. I signed up December two thousand three, um, and then I was in Harrogate in January, um, and then spent a year there. I liked Harrogate actually. I learned everything. It was nice and soft and, you know, just what you needed when you're 16. Um, yeah, I was lucky though, because when I turned up, my full screw was Brian Budd. Yeah, mm. he, he went on to win the Victoria Cross. Yeah, so I don't know. I had a feeling when I was 16, this guy knew, knew his shit. You know, mm. he looked at this guy like he was a fucking god anyway. He was wearing the best beret in the fucking army. So there's no other way you can ever look at him except like god status. No, but he was a, he was a good a good guy but he was like definitely a little bit weird because he used to blink all the time yeah and you'd be like what the f-? like he looked crazy like that was the thing and then he would be so calm soft-spoken but twitching and then he would like have his motorbike go skydiving yeah and did all these fucking like cool things and i'm like 16 years old being like who the fuck is this legend yeah probably only like 21 at the time or something was he like right well like early 20s probably was he yeah he might yeah yeah he must have been early 20s at that time yeah, it's fucking weird now looking back and be like, this guy's a legend, <laughs> but yeah. he was like a young kid. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Because you see the, the, you think about that now and you're like, oh my God, that guy was like, because at the time they look like almost like 50, year, 50 years old in a way. Yeah. Because it's not just the age difference, it's the status difference is so big. It's like literally God level. Yeah. It's like when you watch a war movie though, you watch a war movie and they like depict all these guys as these like, you know, chiseled chins and like big guys and like look older, you know, and they're, they're running around. You're like, no, actually, these are all baby faced kids that are doing this job. You know, I think that's something that I do have an issue with with war movies, mate, is because the fact is Saving Private Ryan, all that cash should be under 23, really. Yeah. And they're all they're all in their 30s. And it, and it gives people a wrong idea of war because cause the thing is, mate, I'm not going to say that the lads that go and fight war aren't men because obviously they are. But the fact is, majority are 18, 19 years old. And, like, and now if you said to me, right, 
Uh, if I had kids and someone was like, right, we're going to have an 18-year-old lad look after the kids, I'd be like, you're fucking not. <laughs> He's fucking, he'll be fucking sniffing paint out in the garage or something, right? I that. <laughs> but it's it, like it's mad, isn't it? Because it's like, we're like, think about those. I've heard about Lancaster bomber crews in the Second World War where they called the 21-year-old man in the crew granddad because <laughs> he was 21 years old. You know, it's but and it's and I think we do a disservice to him in a way when we do portray him as too old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, you do, you do definitely do. Um, it's just it's just weird because you sit there and you realise how much responsibility we put on, you know, these guys, you know, shoulders to go and bear. I don't know. I look at twenty year olds all the time. Like I've worked with a twenty one year old. I'm a ski patroller as well over here. So as I'm ski patrol, I got a twenty one year old, and I'm like, I was your age going to Afghanistan for the second fucking time <laughs> and you can't even tie a fucking rope and be here on time, you know? <laughs> and it just, like, it blows me away. Yeah. It's a weird one, mate. But then on the other hand, like, because, you know, you and me are like, oh, when I was 21, I was doing this. By the time Alexander the Great was 19 years old, he'd conquered the Persian Empire. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a mad one, mate, because, like, I, I wonder, like, I think, well, put it this way, I think we're capable of a lot more at a younger age than we're allowed to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but nowadays a lot of these young ones are a little bit more entitled and, oh, I can't do that. They're a little bit more softer. Mm. You know, I, I can't remember the exact, um, there's like a meme that goes around every so often. It's like, uh, strong times create weak men, weak men, you know, whatever. And I just think that we're in the bottom of the cycle now where we're actually fucking the softest we've ever been. Yeah, which was it? I can't remember what it is exactly. You'll have to find No, it. I know it, mate. I'll tell you what. I'll link. I'm going to make a little note here. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put a quote in the show notes. If I forget to put it in, then Google it yourself, you lazy fuckers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, to- I totally agree with you, mate. And the thing is as well is like in the West in general, we've had an empire for hundreds of years now. We're at the tail end of an empire. There's no doubt about that. that you know, we're, and that is usually what happens in an empire. If you read up about the Greeks, if you read up about the Romans, the guys that were on the tail end of the Roman Empire were saying stuff like, we've got fucking soft. This is ridiculous. You guys don't know. You guys have never done anything. You lizards. Um, and it's exactly the same now. But it's, it's true. We're on the back end. Whereas like, mate, I, I saw a photo the other day of like Russian blokes in Syria. And I was like, I don't want to fucking fight these guys. These guys look nails. Like, and, and there's some part, you know, because... We when was because we're living in it. We think like, oh, people are getting soft. Not now, not everywhere. But there's a lot of parts of the world where people are still nails. We're just not. We're just not in one we're of them. We're just not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is bad, isn't it? Like, but because I mean, you're one of them. Like, you know, they're even in a country which is soft. There's still young men that want to go and throw themselves out of planes, like and and stuff. So like, what 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 was it like when you got from Harrogate to Depot? Like what? What was your kind of like? What were the people like around you and stuff? And like, what was that experience of depot like? Fuck. Well, you interviewed Radders, right? Yeah, we got Radders on. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, I think he was one of the first blokes I met in depot. <laughs> really? You guys yeah, went through yeah, depot we, together? Yeah, we went through depot oh, at the same time. Him. Yeah, no. So he, no, actually, he was in a different platoon. Uh, what happened was, uh, we first, I got there, and I was with the AFC Harrogate platoon. Um, we went through, but we lost so many guys just because, I don't know, they realised that Harrogate was a lot softer than Depot. Depot screws are just like 
fucking hard on us. Yeah, and they just weeded out so many. I think there was like 11 of us left or something. Yeah, and we hadn't, we, I don't know how many weeks until P Company, and they're like, we're not going to have a platoon to pass out with. So the whole platoon, I mean, 11 of us, got back squatted, yeah, to the next platoon coming up, which is where Radders was. Right. Yeah, yeah, we all got moved into their platoon, which was the fucking worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I remember correctly, I think Radders said something about that it's the corridors. That were that 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 make that make fucking depot. Is that? Oh yeah, the fucking corridor Olympics, mate. <laughs> right. So let's let's hear a bit about that. Oh fucking corridor Olympics. Yeah. I mean, you you must have had it as well. You know, you get shouted out corridor. Everyone comes running out, and you do your you know numbers. But in in uh, in Paris, they, they like create. This is where they try and break you. I think you know, like try and make you feel like this isn't gonna fucking end. Yeah, and they used to have a, you know, like roll mats used to throw mop buckets of water down the corridor and you would like be next to each other and you could barely have shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> and they were like, okay, you two have got a race. So you're the first two, you race and the, the roll mats slide against the water. Okay. The next team go along, they, they slide okay. But by the third or fourth one, you get stuck and you're like trying to push it. And it's really fucking hard. I think that was a lot to do with it back in those days, mate, because there wasn't phones. People didn't have phones to distract themselves. Yeah. We used to have a one man, one mattress. This is the one that used to wake us up at three in the morning. Yeah, get it, the corridor. You fucking run out. They're like, one man, one mattress. Get your respirators on. Yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> and you sat there with your fucking respirator holding your mattress. Yeah, and then you're like, the guy next to you, you fucking hold his mattress. You pin yourself up against the wall and then you just start fucking boxing the, the mattresses and your buddy's behind the mattress and you're literally punched in the face <laughs> with his fucking thing on. Um, I don't know, dude, they, they, these things went on and on and on. Like, I remember one guy just kept fucking up. Like, he kept messing up. Like, I don't know, he just couldn't get to grips with what Depot was about. And then, you know when they like, they don't punish you, they punish everyone else. Yeah, so this guy kept fucking up. So they blanket punished everyone. Now everyone started to like not like this guy, and then the screws were just like, "Oh, you haven't got any friends, have you?" Yeah, because now he's losing friends because no one wants to be around him. So they went out and got him a figure eleven target. Yeah, to <laughs> to be his friend, and he had to he he had to walk around depot with a figure eleven target. He could pull it down for fitness. Um, and that was it. He had to take it to the cookhouse. He had to take it to all the lessons. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, yeah, uh, okay. And when people were like, oh, that's bullying, you're like, yeah, it was. But if you couldn't hack that, you probably couldn't hack being in a battalion full of Power Edge blokes because it's a hundred times worse. Yeah, the Taliban definitely do worse to you than give you a figure 11 target to carry around. Um, you know, in fact, I think it's fair to say they do quite a lot worse to you than that. <laughs> so, uh, so like, you know, the idea that that's bullying, it's like, I'm figures, I got to tell for people, because obviously, you know, this is on audio. Jamie has a big smile on his face telling me this stuff, a very nostalgic yeah, smile. Yeah. I'm smiling. I'm smiling too. This stuff's fucking hilarious. It's hilarious. Don't get me wrong. At the time, I was a little bit like, oh, what the, f this isn't acceptable. Yeah. Blah, blah. And you're getting a bit uptight. And, uh, and then as you get older and you get through and you realize that, everyone's gone through this yeah everyone's gone through this humiliation and humiliation is is not nice we get that but you have to be acceptable and if you actually meet any power edge guy yeah he's got the worst humor on the planet yeah if there's anything inappropriate to to be done you know anything happens they're the first ones cracking a fucking joke you know maradona fucking died the other day 
You know, and I get, <laughs> get I get sent these fucking crazy memes already of him, him kicking a bucket. And you're like, dude, it, it just came out on the news. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, it's, it, it's just come on the news 20 minutes ago. But Mate, did you hear about the people, the people at the in the funeral home that took selfies with him? No. <laughs> They've all been murdered by like, because there's like an ultras, like he was part of like an ultras group, wasn't he? Like Maradona. Okay. So like these guys that took a picture in the funeral home, I thought, saw the video, someone sent me a video of one of them getting pulled out. He'd been flat packed into a bin. <laughs> I was just they pulled him out of a bin. <laughs> fucking his head, like his head, his head looked like a pound of mince. It was fucking like mad. But yeah, two like last, like it might by the time this goes, they might have got all three of them. But two or three, two out of three of them were dead Jesus. by the last time I checked this. I shouldn't laugh, but at the same time, don't take selfies with dead people. And don't <laughs> repercussions. Well, that's fucking weird, man. You imagine being a funeral home taking a picture. <laughs> Well, yeah, because the thing is, I felt bad for the... Because one of them had given a statement because you could tell he's, like, shitting himself. And he's like, I wasn't posing the little cunts because it was, like, two younger lads. And they said, like, they, like, look up... He was, they called him and he looked up and he took a picture. But, yeah, two of the other ones were, like, proper selfies. Um, and you can see, like, on the Maradona, you can see where he's had, like, you know, the, they crack him open yeah, for the yeah. autopsy. I don't know why they... I don't know why you bother doing an autopsy on Maradona either. Actually, I'm not going to say anything bad about him in case those fucking ultras come after me. I love Maradona. <laughs> please do not hurt me. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just mad, mate, that they gone after... They've gone after these blokes. Uh, so you... Did you go straight to... Um, did you go straight to one para from, from Depot then? No, no. I went to three para um, initially. And then at the time, they was having issues with uh, not enough aircraft at Bryce Norton. So I didn't even go to Bryce and get my wings. Yeah, so we we went, I went to Free Power. I was there for fucking God knows how many months, walking around with no wings on my arms. Yeah, so you're just like a fucking target for all the senior guys, you know. You'd walk Is in, it penguin, penguins they called you? Penguins, yeah, flightless yeah. birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, fir- the first time it's funny, you know, you walk up and you're like, Oi, Joe! You know, they call everyone in, who's a new guy, Joe, in, in, uh, in Power Edge. I said, like, Oi, Joe! And you're like, Yes? It's like, You've, you dropped something. And you're like, Oh. And you look down, it's like, It's your wings, you fucking mong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're just like, Oh, okay, yeah. And after you get that about a hundred times, you're like, Yeah, okay. You go to the cookhouse. I think the first time I went to the cookhouse, I realized the Power Edge are just a bunch of fucking animals. Cause I, we walked in, there was five of us and we all like, it was like being in prison, you know, like we stick together and we just move around the fucking yeah. thing, <laughs> like, to, you know, strength in numbers. So we're all five of us like walked to the cookhouse. We came through the door, the, like the cookhouse is a line. And then someone just turned and went, Oh, look at this fucking crow bag. And then all of a sudden the whole cookhouse were like banging tables, like, making crow oh, noises. Yeah. It was the loud, it was like you know the 300 like yeah Yeah. it was like that but it was fucking like monkeys in a cookout screaming crow noise in like i'm like what the fuck are we letting ourselves in for (laughs) it's intimidating though isn't it like you know because i've seen it you know when you got when you're in your cookhouse and like there's some people come to like you know like everywhere all these bases they have like like civvies or people from parliament come or something like that and like it's such a tribal thing because when they do walk in the cookhouse, like three hundred sets of eyes just go on them. Like, who are you? 
Yeah. What are you doing in? What are you doing in our cave? Yeah. Basically, in it, like it's because it's interesting when you because you if you see it from both sides, you know, when you're in it as well, you're like, who, who's these? Who's these guns? Who's these guns? Yeah. yeah. But it, it's mad, mate, because I don't know if there's anywhere else that has that. that I've, have you ever come across that anywhere else? Apart like that level of tribalism? No, not that much. And I still actually think that it's really relevant. You know, like especially the way. I, I see what happened to me and it's always stuck with me, you know, that from an, from an early age of a young paratrooper, I walk in there, you know, and there was two options we could have done. We could have just like bounced and wait till the end of the, everyone's left and quickly get the last drabs of scoff, or you just line up and you carry on it while everyone's fucking monkeying around with you. And actually like it teaches you something because a bunch of paratroopers, you're, you're not exactly like you're being dropped in or whatever, flown in somewhere and you're, you've got to face a bunch of people. Yeah, if you like it or not, you know. So it's actually like teaching you, know, like, okay, I'm, I'm fucking here. Do your best. Yeah, and you just have to like not react because you react is going to get worse. You know. So it's like it, it. I think it definitely teaches it, and uh, you know, it always sticks with me. It's not bullying; it's character building. You know, <laughs> and that that sort of uh, as always, I got taught that as a 15 year old by um, when I was about. I was like, I'm going to join Power Edge. My best friend's dad was like. Okay, just so you know, Jamie, it's not bullying, it's character building, and they can't make you pregnant. And I was like, okay. And that was all that ever went through my mind during depot, you know, and, and moving on to battalion. It's like you said earlier, though, mate, it's like if you can't hack carrying a figure 11, a figure 11 around, or you can't hack having people shout at you in a scoff house, you can't hack the wall. Like, I think these things, like they, I, th- I think that the people who are trying to get rid of all that stuff, they're acting with good intentions, but those good intentions are going to lead to bad outcomes. Yeah, we hundred percent. That's it, that's hundred percent accurate, really. You know, like really, the people that are coming to to Power Edge or or other infantry units, yeah, usually have coming from really shit broken homes. You know, really shit backgrounds, um, and and they can they they're not these softies. Really. You know, sure, there'll be a few that want to come and try it. But really, you've got to understand that these guys, they're coming here to do a job because if they didn't do this, they'd be wrapped up in either gangs or drugs or, you know, having a shitty life. Yeah. So getting them to be from their rabble of what they were when they were in Civvy Street <laughs> to to be in an organized rabble is probably like a better a better thing. But if you start making everyone fucking soft, like, I don't know, it, it just doesn't doesn't make sense that's a good point mate because i think a lot of people assume that the army makes you that rowdy nurse but like you're saying like most people come in there that's they're already that it's just they're being refined into it like that's a really good point mate yeah i only thought that the other day because uh like i always said that you know the army had created who i am yeah and i was on chris ryan's podcast the other day and he was like he was like do you reckon that you know your childhood yeah, of being dumped by your mum who should be loving you. You know, did that create the mental robustness that you needed to continue on and focus in different sports? And I was like, and at that point, the penny dropped. And I was like, all the things that I've done in my life to go, oh, it took this podcast to realise, oh, maybe it was my childhood that created the mental robustness. And then the army took that and created something better. Um, it's a shame they just can't redo it when you leave. You know, like, that's the one thing I always say, like, when the army are really good at creating who you are, but they don't teach you how to come back from war. Yeah, I agree, man. We'll get on to that. Um, But no, I think you're right, though, because it's like, 
a lot a lot of people that go into the army have already gone through some shit in their life exactly and that's why i think people go when they leave they go really well or they go really badly when i get in touch with people it's like most people aren't in the middle of the road they're like yeah i'm doing fine it's like yeah, i'm loving life i'm doing this i'm doing that <laughs> or it's like nah i'm drinking every day and i hate life and i think it's you know, you take those traumatic events from childhood or you take the beatings or the bad times. And then, like you said, that that could just, then the army could just mold that and they do it just the right way so that you then come out of it all guns fucking blazing. Or like, so for instance, one of the big ones is with you, like, you know, the trust <laughs> issue of your mum abandoning you. Well, a lot of, because a lot of people going into the army have been abandoned by a family. So when the army, which is their new family, abandons them, then it's like, oh, I guess my whole life is just getting abandoned by people, is it? Great, I'll just fucking give up. And, like, that's something that that, that, that is not addressed enough. But, like I said, mate, like, because the thing is, people give the army the credit, but you're the one that had to go in the off, uh, the, the careers office and put your name down. So there, there's there's something, uh, there's a spark in people in the first place. They wouldn't have gone into the fucking careers office. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, yeah, the army just provide the vessel for you to create who you need to be. You know, and you're right. The you know the army get the credit, you don't, and you and also as soldiers like ourselves, we don't give ourselves enough credit either. You know, we're the ones that did that. Not you know they no one else fucking crawled through the fucking rivers shouting grenade. You know, like yeah. <laughs> being fucking dropped all the time. Like whatever. It's like you did that. You created the the, the person. Yeah, the army just had the syllabus for you to follow. Yeah, the chief of fucking the chief of the general staff wasn't fucking coming and carrying your bergen for you. You know, or wasn't he? He wasn't jump. He wasn't jumping out the plane for you, or getting out the back of the warrior, or fucking doing your barmering through fucking helmet. That was you. Yeah. And like, and 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 you're right though, mate. We had uh, this uh, uh, former um, seal guy, a former a dev group guy on uh, Michael Sorelli, and he was saying that one of the problems that squaddies have when they go to interviews. Uh, after the army is they go we did this we did that i was part of this team and it's like yeah you got to give yourself more credit when you get out because be like i did this because like, like yeah you did do it as a team as well but the team unless you were a shit cunt didn't drag you through everything you did that like so when it's like i went to you know we went to iraq no i went to iraq and like and we need to like when you're going for jobs and stuff you need to start making it more about you because the employer isn't employing the team. The employer's employing you. He's not. He's not yeah. employing. He's not employing your old platoon. He's employing you. So it's something that's really important to remember. Uh, when did you first get out on a? When, when did you first get out on tour? Then uh, two thousand six with Free Power. Ooh, um, yeah, the, the first one. <laughs> uh, I think I was just just turned eighteen as well. Yeah, and I think I remember my fucking eighteenth birthday, like guys singing happy birthday to me while we're in contact Fucking hell. <laughs> that was like probably the the most surreal moment of my life looking over and be like this is fucking awesome you know and seeing the gpmg gunner just fucking trying to like sing happy birthday <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was that what was that um tour like for you then uh just big 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 kind of picture like how did you how did you, did you I'm, I'm guessing you enjoyed it because you stuck around yeah no no i did like i remember the we all got brought into the cookhouse um before we deployed yeah and we had the old world war ii style the fucking colonel stood up and was like some of you guys aren't coming back blah blah you know all this shit anyway he fucking stood up there and he was just like ex you know explained it and it was like i remember looking around being like this is a big so what we're about to do is a big fucking deal you know, and we went out there and we were issued gear that we didn't fucking like winter gear, 
no one really knew what we were going to expect. Yeah. And I just remember getting on the plane, look, you know, looking out the window and it was one of those backwards aircraft, you know, the RAF have, you know, where you sit <laughs> backwards. <laughs> Your VC turns. Yeah. And I remember, typical RAF. <laughs> I was like, I looked out the window and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. And I just remember that. And I get out there and I don't know, it was a, it's a, it's a hard one because I, I had no expectation and realized that you, you've been training. This is what, what you're doing. But I didn't think it was going to be so, you know, kinetic straight off the bat. Um, I was in, in Goreshk at FOB Price when it first started. Um, the, the FOB was kind of small and we had us on one side of the camp and either 2-1 or 2-3 SAS on the other side and they were shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh we did one of these drills the first like the first week we were there and uh i think mick bolton was uh, the sergeant major at the time and he he tried to get everyone to stand up on the like you know like a stand two but it was like zulu warrior like fucking yeah. on, on the edge of the cap obviously these things change over time but they didn't really know what to do so i guess we did a we did a stand two exercise and all the all the you know c company were all like you know, on the walls around the edge and two, one or two, three, whatever they were. Yeah. were on the backside. Anyway, they fobbed it off completely. Yeah. And they lost the shit. Anyway, all of them got shelled at fucking midday, you know, like running around with Jerry Jones and they're like, we're in the SAS. And it's like, fuck off. You, you had, you had stand two to do and you couldn't even do that. You know, but. I, I, I've got, I mean, I've got friends in two, one and two, three, so I'm not slagging them off totally. Cause I know there's good blokes in there, but I do think it's wrong to call them SAS. I don't think it should be. Because they haven't done the same selection as like a lot of these like people you hear about like a politician or like some hoity-toity dude. They'll be like, "Oh, I was in the SES," and they'll have been in two one or two three, and it just doesn't sit right with me, mate. It doesn't sit right from, with me to say that those guys are. I think is because the fact is, if they if they were to go away on tour with the SES two two, they'd have to go through the entire selection. So if you can't like that, that to me just says that you shouldn't be called the same thing. Yeah, no, they, to be fair, right. They, there are a couple of good guys there, like I said. Um, but the, one of my officers, yeah, who, who was my officer on this tour in 2006 came to one power at the same time as me. I ended up being in his platoon again in C company one power. And he started off in two, one or two, three, but honestly the best boss I'd had in my entire career. You know, it was like in free power, he was a bit of a douchebag, you know, he was like a young lieutenant or whatever. But when, by the time he got his captain, captain rank and came over to one power. Yeah. He was just a solid officer, came out on the piss with the blokes, got in fights with the blokes. And then when we were at home, <laughs> we were all covered in fucking blood on a, on a thing. And he's like, all right, lads, um, it's up to you if you want to tell on me, but the police know that you guys, you know, a couple of guys got arrested, so it's going to be passed back to camp. So it's completely up to you. I will take it on the chin if you guys say that I was there, <laughs> but if you want to say that I weren't there, you know, and we all said, like, we all said that like, he wasn't there, but he had this fucking, he had a, a big cut in the forehead where he got fucking bottled. Uh, <laughs> okay, that was brilliant. But we all covered up for him. And it, like, after that moment, then we went to fucking um, Iraq with him. And it was like, so by that point, it showed some like huge solidarity, you know, even like the head shed and the blokes, we all just like, it, Iraq was my second tour. And that was like the best tour I'd ever been on. Yeah, for sure. Was that, was that with One Para? Yeah, it's with One Para. Yeah. We were attached to B Squadron SAS and uh, yeah, it was fucking awesome. Yeah. 
It was oh, fucking go on then, mate. Tell me about it. Give me some jealousy. Oh, I can't talk about it. You know, it's secret stuff. You know, oh, is it, is it, is it a secret squirrel? Is it? <laughs> yeah, no. go on. I, that's fine. I don't want to hear the stories, mate. Because to be honest, I'll just be jealous. I just, I genuinely don't hear them. I genuinely don't hear them. No, no, so if 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 they're secret, no, no, you said it now, mate. I don't have to listen to them now. Because Radders was telling me stuff before, and I just sat in here just like miserable just like my Iraq wasn't like that well, fucking but go on go on mate let's have yeah let's have some alley war dits then the alley one or well, the alley one is a is not really a war dit, but it's a funny one um go on then, obviously sorry. we're clearly fucking we're allowed drinks you know at a reasonable <laughs> level you know two can roll obviously um so there's a the bar was in the briefing area yeah there was like a bar out the back and i thought i was going to be clever because one of the B squadron guys was in air troop. So they're, they're, they're friends of mine outside of the, the regiment. Um, so I was like, fuck it. I'm, they asked me to go around and have some beers. So I fucking got black masking tape and stuck it over my eyes. Yeah. And walked around there with a fucking beer can in my hand. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm in the SAS. <laughs> the fucking whole of B squadron are sat there getting briefed up about something. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. And I heard a couple of giggles and I like peeled it off and I was like, <laughs> and I just turned around and walked off. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get fucking beasted for that. And, oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, I was a little bit drunk at that point. <laughs> oh mate, that's class. Oh mate, so were you up in Baghdad, were you? Yeah, I was in Baghdad and we were going around chasing the, the big targets. Yeah. And it was fucking awesome. Like every single night we were out on the ground. Um, like flying into places like I couldn't even like people said to me where were you in Baghdad I'm like dude I fucking no idea I can't even pin a map you know I was just target to target to target and it was so busy the six months flew by and I think I had my R&R the last you know that you, you broke it up in section yeah. I had the last R&R section so I came back with three weeks left to push and I I was just like fuck I'm, a, I'm at R&R already like this is like it was so much fun yeah, honestly. What what what's your opinion about R and R? Do you think it's something that's? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing or what? It's weird because if you come, if you finish the tour, you got to go back and you got to do your decompression shit. But you're, I just remember fit being in a firefight. Yeah, one day, the next day I'm fucking sat in in a pub in London, and I'm sat there and I'm like looking around. I was like, I was in a firefight less than fucking forty eight hours ago. Yeah, that there was like. That was a weird moment, and I like got on the train. And I was like, I need to get away from people. Yeah. Thing is, but I got an issue. Well, my issue with it is like they've locked lads up and kicked lads out of the army for having a fight on R and R. I'm like, you can't have someone in a war zone and send them home, and then send them to prison for having a fight that you've just been paying them to kill people. Like it's that's just mad, mate, to me. I just I think as well, mate. Honestly, for like like one of the problems I was about, it was probably different with you lads, but. You know, with our company in a, like on out on the ground in Afghan, by the time you've got one R and R going out and another one coming in, you haven't got enough troops on the ground to actually like really take like offensive actions and stuff. Yeah. So you just end up like like once the like when we first got out there and there was no R and R, we were like fucking doing ops. Then the R and R thing kicks in for the rest of the tour, so you haven't really got enough blokes to do anything. Then at the end of the tour, you've got enough blokes to do a few ops. But, like most of the tour, you just kind of ground holding. It's like. Can we just like chin the R and R off and just go and fucking slot some fucking bad guys? Like this is just fucking da- daft. Like I think you were on tour the same time as me, and like when I was in Baghdad, I did a, a section up in Basra. Right. Yeah. So, so they would have like two SAS guys and then three 
uh, two SAS guys, two of SFSG guys, and one SRR guy, and that would make up a team. And then we were we attached to whatever unit was holding um, the basics, and we'd go out on the ops and stuff like that. So that was like fucking cool. Yeah, we had some woods. Sometimes they come and do the entry and stuff like that. But it, it, it's funny, mate, because it's like when we used to use the gyms, I'd say, you know, you had to sign in on the gyms out there. Yeah. And this is because this is how mad it is for the out. Because, like, anyone that's got the internet now, which is everyone. Like they all know now. They know what your SFSG job was. They know what you, they know what two row Welsh's job was. They know nothing of this stuff at the time. So I go in the gym and people would be signed in. I'd be like, "Who's FSSG? SFSG?" I just didn't know. Just didn't know what it was. Yeah. Which is mad to think that we're out there at the same time. But people have so much access to, to knowing all the jobs in the army now, mate. My mine at the time was just like. Oh, you grew up in Wrexham, yeah. Roll up, we're all Welsh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, but it's 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 mad now. Like people have so much information for it and stuff. But I always used to just wonder who you guys were. Until I met Radders, I literally had no idea what SFSG was or what you did. Um, well, no, actually, that's a lie because I knew you might know uh, G Horn and Danny Mackay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, did PTI card with oh, those so, lads. Yeah. So, so um, I knew from them a bit of the stuff, but it was only really. Um, they they told me about the Afghan stuff, but it was only from Radders that I found out what you lads were up to in Iraq, mate. It just sounded like the fucking most amazing oh, job. Honestly, it was. You know, like it was fucking mega. Like I can still like to this day the best thing I've ever done. Like I thought it was fucking cool that we we're in American uniforms. You know, like mm. oh we we couldn't cool. be there in fucking British uniforms because they're you know whatever we pulled out of Iraq or whatever. And I'm like, but you can wear American stuff. That's why I don't believe half the shit on the media these days. Like I got trust issues anyway when I joined before I joined the army, <laughs> and now you're putting me in American <laughs> uniforms and telling me we're not we're not British, you know? And I'm like, hold on a minute, now you're lying to everyone else, you know? And I'm like, okay, and now you want me to believe the media? Now I'm out. Go fuck yourselves, you know? <laughs> Mate, there's a fucking reason that most of the people I see questioning what goes on in the world are veterans because we've literally been in situations where we see we're like, look. I've seen them lying. People are like, you're paranoid. It's like, no, I've genuinely seen them like lying. I've been part of the lie. I know it's a lie. People are like, oh, you're just fucking paranoid. It's like, no, it's because we've seen it's it, not, man. We've seen it. It's funny. Like, it, we did the counter-terrorism. I used to really enjoy counter-terrorism team stuff as well. And uh, we did a, uh, an exercise in London, central London. We're fucking walking around. We've got flashbangs on our belts. Yeah, like MP5 down a jacket and a fucking North Face jacket round us walking round. You're like, we're in fucking London with this shit going on. And uh, in one of the underground stations, you know the burlap you use to like cover the wheels on a four tonner, mm. you know, like sandbag Hessian yeah. material. They fucking got this shit and just like put it across the platform. Yeah, closed the fucking uh, the subway station and then just. You know, they were dr- driving by and we're fucking running around with like simulation, like shooting each other. And you're like, <laughs> and you're like, we're in central fucking London in an in a underground fucking shooting shit. And you, and what you've told the civilian population is that the, the, the fucking subway's closed. That's all you've told. But actually, <laughs> if, if the train just stopped and you looked, you'd be like, there's fucking guys in gas masks running around. <laughs> Mate, how did you end up in, in one part of them? Did you have to do this? Was it like a selection for SFSG or what? No. So I was in, I was in free power. Obviously I was on tour. Um, and then my friend, obviously bribe bud ended up went on to becoming a good friend of mine after I passed depot and fucking we went back to battalion and we just, you know, he, he, he inspired me to get into skydiving as well. So I was always like, 
whatever. And, and we became friends. And then on the tour, someone came in and told me, oh, by the way, Bright Bud just got the good news. And I'm sat there, I'm fucking 18 years old. Yeah, this is the legend that I fucking turned up to. This is a godlike figure, yeah, that you just, in you know, who you wanted to, to be like and imitate. And I got told that and I fucking, honestly, it was just a massive shock to the fucking system. And then I went out on tour, but I wasn't really the, you know, I do the contacts, whatever else, but I wasn't really with it. Um, and then one of the, I think the platoon sergeant came in and was just like, oh, there's, they're asking for volunteers to go to One Power. They're starting up this new uh, special forces support group thing. Anyone want to do it? And I stood there and I was just like, oh, whatever. And they were like, all right, Flinny, you're on it. And I was like, okay, when do I leave? And they're like, uh, pack your bags. You're going tonight. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, cool. So I didn't actually finish the whole 2006 tour. You know, I got a fair chunk through it. But that was a major, like, I think it helped me as well. And probably the reason why I end up staying in the military because I felt like, you know, they, they, maybe they didn't, maybe I was just a new bloke and they were like, you're fucking going. Yeah. Which is probably yeah. the outcome <laughs> in, in reality. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I felt like at the time that they realized that I wasn't having a good time with fucking, you know, Bry dying and, um, and how he died. And they pulled me back and went to one power and I fucking, yeah, got there and one power were deployed. So I literally had like an extended leave and then they stuck me on the sniper's course fucking failed that thing it's hard <laughs> <laughs> i know they did even oh mate it's fucking hard it, it was like the, the one thing in my life i failed like and uh yeah but it was i think it takes a special kind of person to do that kind of that that pay that amount of patience and stuff mate it's just you know but th that's good it actually taught me a lot anyway and uh yeah and then from there i went into at the t I went into one power at that point and there was no real like harder or selection or anything like that. It was just like you got brought in from other battalions and I got there and I went into the Asbo, Asbo platoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause it was at that point, there was no, like we didn't have any rotations with the, the squadrons. So it was just like, all right, you guys are CT platoon. Yeah. So for fucking two years, we basically just did counter terrorism until they realized that blokes were on the piss and three hours notice to move and fighting everyone in Cardiff. And, you know, we were all English accents in Cardiff fighting all the time, you know, so yeah. Bastards, get, out of our, <laughs> get out of our fucking country. It's, um, you know what, mate, something I've just realizing now is, um, how lucky we were to, cause so much is just timing with your, with your military career. Yeah. Right. So like you got on that 2006 tour, which I'm sure you feel very thankful for, you got on the SFSG as it was forming and then the Iraq tour, which I'm sure you're really thankful for. Just generally, like a lot of people listening to this right now, I know we've got people listening that were on Operation Panthers Claw in fucking um, Afghanistan in 2009. And like so much of your military career just comes down to being right place, right time. Oh, it? it does. Yeah, massively, you know, and then you don't really get much of a say. Like you think you do, <laughs> you think you do, but you don't. Yeah, you remember get, I remember being walking to the office and being like, uh, you're getting the signals. And I was like, what? Why do I want to have fucking signals? No, I, I, I still think like being signals was the fucking best thing ever. You know, like I realized a lot of other units put their shit blokes in the signals platoon. And then in, in one power, they were putting good blokes. Like she had to go away and do a fucking signals course in Hereford. Yeah, you had to like, you know, study and do all this random shit, which is fucking hard for paratroopers. You can't fucking read or write without 
you know so they were like you had to pick a few guys and i was really lucky at that point because the the detachment i went into it was like everyone had an extreme sport they were into yeah so we always were just like always trying to do random shit all the time um yeah i went to six and it was fucking great we had such a good time and i think six is a great thing for people like if you want to go far in the army six is a great thing to do for a bit because you will get a, you will understand more about what's going on all the different moving parts yeah you definitely get on with like the bigger picture even when you're on the ground and you know when the oc has to tell you first because you got to pass it up you're like all right cool get ready at fucking five in the morning we're waking up yeah, so you could just like you can preempt what's going on, and all, not all the blokes know. Yeah, yeah, I, I was, yeah. That's 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 a big part, mate. Yeah, I would always try and pass on the information that the officer told me. Yeah, which is part of you know you're one of the blokes sort of thing. Yeah, but it it was it was good and bad. Like you also were the first person to hear when someone got the good news, or you know because you're like you got the zap number and you're just like mm. oh fuck, you know. It's, x person got fucking hit yeah so you you definitely are there but you also it's up to you then to get that helicopter to be here yeah so it was a huge responsibility you know and i i don't know i i really enjoyed that role um probably more than just being a rifleman because i realized that you you are a rifleman you know my fucking comms kit didn't work one day i was like well this fucking shit i was like all right fucked it off and then just carried on fighting you know mm. <laughs> they're like can you pass on anything i'm like can't get any comms at all yeah so it was like all right cool so you just back in with the blokes with that one on the radio mate when it comes to zap numbers and stuff i think one of the things that a lot of people feel guilty for which is why i'm bringing this up because you know it's one of those things you always want to let people they're not the only one that thinks somewhere is that there's a sense of relief when you find out that someone in this casualty isn't your mate yeah and and it, and like that's something that I know a lot of people feel guilt for, and that's why I'm bringing it up right now. But it's just not—it's natural to feel that way in it. It's like doesn't mean that you wish it on anyone else. But when you hear, when you find out that it isn't one of your close mates, or when you find out that it is, then like you know, it's it's a it's a fucking horrible feeling to have to have that because you feel relief, but then you feel guilt. It's just that's just shitty, you know. It's so funny you say that because I was chatting to this about the other day actually. Uh, so obviously base jumping all the time uh we have a thing called the base fatality list yeah so you, you don't ever want to be on that thing but <laughs> <Fair> we have <laughs> a <laughs> we have we have a list and it's like numbered um and then you're you know when you die base jumping your name goes up how you died what you learned what pe- what you learned from it you didn't learn shit <laughs> you're fucking dead <laughs> but what you what everyone else can learn from it um and then but normally like everyone goes quiet because the family need to be informed. But we have this private group that then pops up like, and if you wake up in the morning, you see this group pop up and you're like, Oh, there's a notification from the BFL. Yeah. My, like my heart sinks. And then as soon as I open it and I'm like, I don't know who that person is. Fucking nigga. You know? <laughs> God, man. <laughs> and I, I've, I've actually been there before with friends and I'm like, yep. Yeah, don't know who that is. Fucking mega. And my friends are like, Jamie, that's too fucking ruthless. I'm like, but I don't know who it is. Like if I, if people die all the time, you know, and I can't, if I don't, if I'm going to involve myself in that, I'm going to create too much negativity and worry about death way too much. And if I don't know them, I'm sad for the, their friends and, and I got friends that know them, but you know, sorry, it does. I, I can't let that energy into me. Yeah. To, to bring me down. No, like you said, man, like we're, 
recording this five miles from a hospital, I guarantee you someone's died in there in the last hour. And I think that's tragic, but I can't let it stop my day. And it's, it's the same in the military, man. It's like, I think especially like, I've always thought when they have vigils and stuff on tour, it's good in one way and bad in another way. Cause it's good that you're honoring that person, obviously. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, a soldier needs to feel some kind of invincibility in order to be able to do his job. So it's a bit of a fine line, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's the same with base jumper. Yeah. And I, the way I keep saying it is that that notification that you see, like I see on the Facebook when it's like, oh, no one added to this. It's the same feeling that you got when you were in camp in on, you know, when you were in Iraq or Afghanistan and then you hear op minimize mm. over the fucking, and you're like, oh, yeah. do I know him? And you run around, you're like, was it any of our guys? No, no. You're like, cool. You know, it's, yeah, sure. You feel guilty for, for doing that, but. I, I can't let my, I can't let the guilt, you know, there's already stuff that I feel guilty for. Yeah. You yeah. Know, but I can't let something that it's like, you know, someone didn't know make me feel guilty again. You know, there's, I was just saying, mate, there's that period in like 2006, 2010, where people would be like, oh, do you hear about Jamie? You'd be like, oh, God, he's not dead, is he? And he'd be like, no, no, he's, he's just had a kid. And he'd be like, for fuck's sake, start with, <laughs> just tell me Jamie's had a kid. Don't say, have you heard about Jamie? Because I'm going to be like, oh, how many, uh, is it legs? Is it arms? Is he dead? Yeah. I, I needed something different. Like, one power was fucking killing me. Um, and I don't know if you know much about... And, and, well, well, I, I, sorry, mate, sorry to interrupt, but how do you mean it was killing uh, you? So basically, one power is in this, you know, like the SF cycle. So you're on like six month deployment, six month CT, et cetera, et cetera. So you do, it's a two year rotation that you do. And I think it was my third time round the rotation and I was getting burnt out and I was like, I need a change. Yeah. So I, I put in, I was like, I want to go, I want, I just want to go anywhere. Yeah, I wanted to get out. I wanted to either go Pathfinders. I wanted to go uh, to be an SFC as a signaler for Hereford. Um, and then they were just like, oh, you have to wait six months. you got to do this. you got to do that. And then I knew an officer down at Neverhaven, which is the Skydive Center that I used to go to all the time. Um, and he was like, there's a spot come up, yeah, for a Lance Corporal um, that, that if you wanted it, you know, we would, would take you. Yeah, and I was like, sweet, okay, cool. So I went back to the the battalion and I like put in my, you know, slip to go to Neverhaven as an instructor. Um, but I wasn't, I'd done the, the junior NCO thing, but I didn't, I didn't have the rank as a Lance Corporal, but I was still a fucking Lance Jack because I'm still doing the Lance Jack's job. Um, so I put in for it and they were like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, you can go. And I set the interview process in, you know, go to the OC, whatever else. And the process of me started, but I had to wait six months to before I could go down there. Now, it got to the end of that six-month period, and I'm like, Cont- I, I didn't hear anything about my posting. And I was like, I kept asking my officer, like, uh, boss, what's going on with the posting? And he's like, we haven't heard anything yet, but I'll, I'll keep my ears out for you, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, yeah, okay, cool went down to Neverhaven one weekend, saw the officer and I was just like, Hey, what's going on with my posting? Cause it's all gone radio silence. And I can't like, and they said, Oh, three months ago, one para sent a message saying that you're not, you're not coming down for the posting. Fucking cunts me. So I fucking went back and I was like, I was raging. Like I'd never been so pissed off. Yeah. Ever. And you know, at that point, JPA just came in. Yeah. So I like ran onto the computer 
Yeah. <laughs> and, it, you know, you, I put my fucking sign off thing, you know, because I, I thought sign off. Yeah, I knew the old school way, like writing the paper in and putting it in. But GPA just came out and I went in and I put the date on. And, you know, it says like when do you, at that point it had when do you want to leave by? And I put tomorrow's date on. <laughs> and submitted it <laughs> and obviously tomorrow's date pops up straight away you know, i got dragged into the office and they were like why is that and i may have said a few things that i probably shouldn't have to a fucking officer <laughs> <laughs> and i was just like you know and it, it was it was horrible right because he was a raw signals officer yeah he wasn't even a fucking power edge officer it, it fucking right. killed me i was just like uh i walked into the office and i didn't salute him he was like you fucking, you didn't salute me. I was like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. You know, like real <laughs> shitty thing. I was like, you didn't even show, you, you know, I'm meant to be one of your blokes and you've not even shown me the respect that you cancelled my posting. And he was just like, well, about that. I said, about that, it was three fucking months ago. Yeah, and I like, I lost it. And I, I just turned, I was like, you know what? I put my slip in, pass it on. Don't trust this chain of command anymore. And I just turned out the office and walked off. Didn't salute him. Didn't fucking, you know, slam my tabs in or anything. Just walked out. He's like, shut the door. I was like, nah. <laughs> just kept walking. <laughs> just kept walking out. And I was like, I'm in the shit. Yeah, obviously, I've like ignored all my phone calls getting it. Yeah. And then I get one text saying, Jamie, you're on guard this weekend. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I expected that. Mate, a fucking the army, mate. It's just like, they'll screw you out of a career. Right, they screw you out. Literally, your life. There's only one career you get. You only get one life. They'll do something so shitty like that. No honesty, no nothing. And when you react as any sane human being would, they'll go, "Right, you're on guard duty." Yeah. Like the army, mate. Retention is just so fucking appalling. It's mad. Do you know what the one thing I could, the one thing I say this, I say it to this day, right? Is if you had sent me down there for two years on a posting as a skydive instructor. You know, that would give me a break from the, the rotations that were on, the deployments that we were doing, yeah. I look back now and I would, you know, as a 30-year-old, I'd go and do that job again. Yeah, it, even with the repercussions that I know come from the job. Yeah, I would go back and do it, yeah. So if you had given me that break, yeah, there's been a high chance I would have fucking come back and continued my career as a, you know, as a senior guy. Yeah, I, I won't go in with me, but I, I was a very similar, very similar thing. It was felt like getting fucked over. I, I told told them what I wanted, wouldn't giving me force. So I left, and I'm like, and I just know so many lads that have said the same thing. So many lads, and it's usually good blokes too. Like you, you would have had me. Like there's a high chance that I would be hitting in now, like the end, you know, the tail end of my career. Yeah, I would have definitely fucking loved to have stayed in, yeah, and and done it, you know, but you fucked me over, yeah. And around that same time, I was on the British skydive team, yeah, so I knew, like, I could make a career out of this and get, like, sponsored. And then around that time, I just won a world championships in base jumping, yeah. So I had, like, Rab Clothing sponsoring me. I had, like, G-Form. I had, like, a bunch of other companies, like, giving me money while I was still in the army, and I'm like, you know what? I can fucking do this in Civvy Street. Yeah, so that's what I did. I asked for early release and got out and, yeah, went on and just fucking became an athlete at that point. So how did you get into base jumping? 
Actually, can you explain what, in, in case anyone doesn't know, can you explain what base jumping is and then how you got into it? Yeah, base jumping is an acronym. It stands for building antenna, span and earth. So covers all aspects of fixed object jumping. Yeah, normally it's not, it's like skydiving, but without the reserve. Yeah, is how people describe it. I say it's like, it's like skydiving without the main parachute because the base jumping one is like the reserve. It's packed the same way. It's fucking, it's intense how you pack it. Um, yeah, a base jumping, you're just jumping off anything fixed. And I think what, at the time I found out I was in one power, I still like hadn't thought about leaving, but one of the blokes had a big poster on the wall of this guy uh, base jumping off a building. I was like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah, but I didn't like fucking parachuting at the time, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> no paratrooper likes parachuting. Um, and I was like, this is shit. So I think on my R&R from Iraq, like, a, sorry, we're going back again. But I remember That's sitting fine, in that, we sat in that pub and I was like, I was in a fucking kicking down doors two two hours ago or two days ago. And now I'm fucking here in a pub. And I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to go and fucking do something. So I looked on the internet. I booked my flight to Spain and did my accelerated free fall course. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? Like rather than go home and get drunk, I'm going to like, do what I've always done and focus on a sport. Yeah. And that's, I went to Spain for two weeks on my R and R. Yeah. I didn't fucking see anyone at home. Like literally just flew out there, did my shit, flew back to the UK, flew back to Iraq. Yeah. I was like that there kept me out of trouble. Um, so I did that and then I, I get there and I was like, I want to be a base jumper. Yeah. And my instructor at the time was like, okay, you need to like make a couple of goals that you want to do to achieve. And I was like, well, the first goal I want to do, I want to be a base jumper. The second one, I want to fly a wingsuit past the Christ Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. And that's like the equivalent of what I just said then to my instructor is like turning up to depot and go, I want to be in the SAS. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, of course you do. We'll see you. So I got that fucking nod. Yeah. But anyway, I, uh, I achieved both those goals. When you start looking at the base jumping then, you know, obviously... There's military parachuting, which is very different to skydiving, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, what, what, what's, which one's the more, like, in com- comparison of, like, what's kind of, like, scary and what's a rush and what's enjoyable, how do they kind of stack up, like, military parachuting, base jumping, uh, skydiving? Fucking military parachuting, <laughs> base jumping, skydiving. Um, yeah, base jumping... It was weird. Like I didn't actually, I wasn't as scared base jumping as I was military jumping. Yeah. And when you tell people like when, you know, they do hours at civvies do hours and hours and hours of like ground school before they go and skydive in the military, you'll do like a few hours of this and rolling around on the floor. And then they're going to chuck you out at a thousand feet out of, out of an <laughs> aircraft. You say that to a fucking skydiver, they're like a thousand feet. Yeah. They open their parachutes at three and a half, four thousand feet. Yeah, so right. we're basically doing base jump altitudes out of a C-130 with big, huge fucking blankets that, you know, and then going, oh, you know what? Here's 300 pounds, you know? So all that time, <laughs> you've got to, like, kick out of line twists and drop this fucking big container with weight in it. And, yeah, so that, that, that's that's scary. And then you've got to deal with the RAF not dropping you in the right place most of the fucking time. Yeah, that, that one fucked us over a couple of times on on exercises um and then base jumping um it wasn't as scary my first one because i was like oh i'm at like 480 feet i remember looking down and being like oh this is the same 
sort of visual as you get out of a C-130. Right. Except the thing is, there's no noise, there's no aviation fuel smell, you know, there's no, like, weird thing. It's just dead quiet, yeah? And I just remember just going, all right, fuck it, what's the worst that can happen? And just, like, run off, did a fucking base jump, landed, yeah? And I, did, I didn't know any of the ethics of the sport at the time because no one, I didn't do a course, I, no one taught me how to do it. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I just fucking <laughs> winged it. <laughs> fucking hell! Man. Um, I was worried because I was I was going to deploy to Afghanistan, right? And I wanted to be like it, this would have been my third tour, and I now known guys that have been blown up, been killed, been you know. I'm starting to be like I don't know six years into a eight year career in the army at that point. So I was like, all right, I I need a base jump before I go to Afghan because if I get blown up, like I'm not going to be base jumping them. No one was going to teach me. Yeah, so I was like, all right, fuck it. So I bought a parachute, you know, bought a base jumping parachute. I've been skydiving a fair bit. You know, I had like 300 skydives. Oh, wow. And so I, I, I already, like, I knew how to fly a parachute. It wasn't completely, you know, idiocy. Um, and I just threw myself off it, jumped, landed, and I didn't know the ethics at the time. Yeah, but you should just pack up your gear and, and bug out. But I just remember like, going, fuck this, I'm doing it again. I turned on the headlights of my car. I packed my parachute in the fucking car park under the seven bridge. <laughs> fucking packed up, just climbed back up and did it again. So I did like two in a night that night and then just drove back to camp. You jumped up, so you jumped off what? The seven bridge? Next to the seven bridge. There's something you can jump off there, yeah. Fucking hell! Disclaimer: We're not saying anyone should jump off. <laughs> what, so what? What are the, some of the? What are some of the alliest places that you've jumped then? Uh, the London Eye, I jumped. No that. way! Yeah, dude, that was fucking sick. That was like back in the back in the day. Um, that was cool. I jumped Twickenham Stadium during the Rugby World Cup. Um, I was all over the fucking newspaper for that one. <laughs> uh, uh, so, are these when, when you say you jumped? Are these sanctioned or are these like have you climbed up there or how are you getting up on top of these fuckers? We're using the skills that we gain from. Uh, the military to gain access, <laughs> do reconnaissance, and not get caught. <laughs> wow! In fact, the time I did get caught, I I was I got locked up. By the, the the police arrested me. Um, obviously, I spent the night in the cell. Um, and then I, you know, I used to drive from Cardiff to London, at, like not every night, but at least a couple times a week to go and base jump. Yeah, when the weather was good, and I got arrested one night, so I couldn't fucking make the first parade the oh, next ooh. day. Yeah, because they they let me out at six in the morning and I had like a fucking long drive back to Cardiff and I turn up at like 10 a.m. and they're like, where you been? I was like, oh, got arrested. Yeah, no, what for? I was like base jumping and they're like, oh, for fuck's sake. So I get dragged into the fucking uh, Sergeant Major's office and he was just like, okay, well, you're in the parachute regiment. I can't really punish you for parachuting, <laughs> but I am going to punish you for getting caught. You know, so I got punished. I got shelled for that. Um, so the next thing, I'm running around with a fucking wombat shell over my arm. Fucking explain, explain to people because I think the wombat shells have been phased out now, mate. So explain to the young listeners what a wombat is. Oh, fucking wombat's like a what's it? What, what size it's is one it? Five, one five one five. I think one five it? five fucking artillery gun. Um, anyway, they they got the shell with, of the the fucking ammunition. They fill it up with weight. They make they either make your bra so it so you can see your face in it. Yeah, and then they make you do fizz with it, you know, for like an hour. And yeah, next thing you've got this uncomfortable fucking artillery shell running around, crawling around with it. You got to 
you got to make it your friend for an hour. And then when you finish it, you then got to brasso it again. <laughs> so I think it's the best fucking punishment the army had. You, well, yeah, I was going to say had is the operative word, yeah. mate. Good old, good old fucking Wombat. Wombat. It's, Wombat's just such a great name as well. And the best thing about being the shell as well is you, you'd you want to watch a guy getting shelled <laughs> just to have that entertainment value. But in the in Power Edge, if you got caught watching the shell, <laughs> you would be on the shell. They were like, get out of here, pick up the other shell. And then you get shelled with him for watching it. So, <laughs> oh, you would always co- watch at the corner of your eye, but the, like, don't look when the proper <laughs> sergeant's looking. It's like Medusa, you can't look directly at it. Fuck yeah. it up. That's, that's fucking dope, mate. So with base jumping then, right? I mentioned, I said to my mum earlier, I mentioned base jumping because I don't know why. I've had this thing recently, mate, because I've never been. I, ju- I did a static line jump when I was in uni, right? And then I've never really had an interest in it. And then recently, I think, to be honest, it's because I've been so sick of being locked in the house. I just want to do something outside now. So I've started thinking about skydiving. But when I think about base jumping, I'm like, fucking hell, it looks a bit ropey. How how dangerous is it, really? Like, is it is it as dangerous as people think it is or, or what? Obviously, it's an inherently dangerous sport. Like, I'm not going to fucking sugarcoat it. But is it as dangerous as people think? Like, no. I mean, I've I've been jumping 11 years. You know, like, you can make it dangerous. Like, base jump is not dangerous. The person who's fucking doing the base jumping is the dangerous person. You know? <laughs> and, and, and usually that person has a big ego. Yeah? So you have to, like, control that ego. And if you can control the ego, yeah, then you can be safe in the sport. However, a lot of people can't because once you do it, it's like getting that fucking buzz and you just want to jump, 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 jump. And it's just that usually fucks people over because then people chase the buzz. And when you start chasing it, then you're you fucked yourself. Yeah. What I try and do on every jump. Obviously, I've been seriously fucking hurt doing base jumping like, you know, six years ago. Um, But I still jump. But now I have a different mindset of how I jump. So I turn up to that exit point. You know, and I, yeah, sure. You know what? I got the skills that I could just fucking jump and I'm fine. But I get up there and I'm trying to find every reason not to make the jump. And if there's no reason for me not to jump, then I jump. Yeah. And if you can do that, I think you can have a long, you know, a long career as a base jumper. But then trying to convince someone that you're like, well, actually, it's only slightly windy. I should be all right. Yeah. And right. that there, that should be all right and is where you're rolling the dice um but really like base jumpers aren't fucking these cowboy adrenaline junkies most people think sure we we have some we have crazy lunatics like everything but really these guys like we have to geek out on weather fucking you know the winds like you're you're not just like yeah, yeah, we're, we're good, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit of grass, but like the Johnny Wilkinson bit of grass in the air. Yeah, just throw like, a, a, bit of a grass little grass up. up. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, you, you really are like geeking out on like anabatic, catabatic winds, like shit that like you just wouldn't really think of. Um, and you've also got to train loads in the skydiving world to even get to a point when you can just keep base jumping all the time. Yeah, it's the reason why I'm here. It's like, I want a, I want somewhere that, to live where it's fucking awesome. Yeah, but I want somewhere where I can base jump as well all the time. So, I, I, how does how does someone does someone walk away from base jumping, or is it literally you just keep jumping until you splat? Like, how how do you walk walk away from that that like life of jumping off fucking buildings and stuff? 
I, to be honest, I don't think I'm going to. Yeah. But I think that, you know, I will, t- like, I have toned it down. Yeah. So, you know, I might, you know, I'm not jumped now for, for a, a month. Yeah. I haven't jumped for a month. Yeah. I, mean, I broke my foot. So that's probably part of it. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Usually the the career is like three to four years for a base jumper. Usually they've people have seen enough after three years that they're like, you know what, I'm out. You know, like you do see injuries all the time. You see fatalities quite a bit. And the normal person is like, no, nah, I can't do this. You know, and usually bounce, go back to skydiving, do the, you know, go back to their like normal lives. Um, the ones that pass the four year point, usually then there's another milestone, which is around the, the six to eight year point, and then they make another. You know, you've either got injured at this point, or you've seen too much and you want to leave. And then anyone after eight years seems to just jump steady, and they have a very conservative mindset on how to jump. That, you know, and then there, there's always a point. At that point, you start picking up big sponsors because you've been around it a bit, and you think you've then got to impress someone. Yeah. And that bites the experienced jumper. But if you can take the big sponsors and be like, you don't want to sponsor me because I'm not doing gnarly shit. Like, cool. There's a fucking 20 year old down the road there. Like he'll do the dumb shit. I'm just going to keep jumping, (laughs) you know? And that's my mindset now is like, you know, sure. There's a high chance that something could go wrong, but we all fucking die. That's the problem. You know, like I'd rope, I prefer to die base jumping than fucking getting run over by a bus. Yeah, or getting right. Don't for, you don't have to choose between those two, mate. <laughs> no, there's other ways as well. Uh, no, no, but it, it's just uh, you know, I, I'm I just prefer that I'm doing something that you know that I actually you know enjoy, and just so so people know, like I won't do a jump that I can't justify. You know, I got injured six years ago, um, and I I was content with the injury because when I sat in the hospital and thinking about it, I'd be like. Yeah, like I, I wanted to do that jump. You know, I don't really jump nighttime antennas anymore, sneaking around the UK because I, I thought at that moment that if I jumped off an antenna at fucking three in the morning, pitch black, I'm lying in a field in butt fuck nowhere. Yeah, and I'm just lying there going, <laughs> this is shit. Yeah, that moment there, I'd be like, I don't ever want that moment to go, you know, I'm injured and this is shit or I'm dead and this is shit. You know, I want to be like, you know what? I did a jump. I fucking died. I made a mistake. Yeah, but it's fucking, look where I am, you know, and that's how I try and justify my, you know, what I'm doing. The good news is you don't have to have that conversation with yourself anyway because you'll just be gone. <laughs> Who knows, mate? It might be a video game. You know, yeah, we'll take mate. this fucking... Oh, mate, we need, an, we need another episode <laughs> if we're going to go into, if we're going to go into virtual reality, mate, which is, right. We're, we're doing this. I was going to ask you for a part two anyway, mate, but now I 100% want a part two because <laughs> we're going to talk about that. Are, are we living in a virtual reality simulation? Mate, don't give we'll me come in. We'll, right, uh, we're, mate, all right, Sam, we're doing, we'll do a part two next month if you're up for it, mate. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm put definitely that down at the top, And we'll come in straight in on the top of the agenda on that one. Fuck, I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's talk, like, before we wrap up, mate, tell us a bit about wingsuit jumping, though, because that, to me, I was thinking about this earlier. I was trying to crunch the numbers, right? I think... I can't, I'm probably talking out my ass here, which I do a lot, right? But I have, I, I, I have a feeling that recently I heard that, like, in, in all of human history, there's been 50 billion people over all of human history so far, right? Yeah. 
How many people have wingsuit jumped, which is probably the closest thing you can come to flying, right? Fuck, I, I don't know. Not many, not many in the grand scheme. You know, like we, we as base jumpers, we think a lot of people fucking wingsuit. Yeah, but really, like, nah, there's not not that many. If we think currently on this planet, there's about two thousand people that are actively base jumping. Only two thousand. Wow. Like, there's no there's no proof of this. Yeah, but that's my little calculation. And and when I say actively, like I'm talking about people who jump on a regular basis, like once a week or uh, or, or at least four times a month. Yeah, like yeah. So probably, mate, out of f- like fifty billion humans that have existed. Only let's probably like less than twenty thousand, safe to say, have ever done like fucking Superman flying through the air shit. Yeah, and we're looking at like the the sport has only recently evolved. Like, yeah, wingsuit has been around for a while, but uh, it's only started become you know readily accessible to to skydivers, you know, who who are happy to fly these wingsuits. Because when I first started, and, and we're only talking like ten years ago when I put on a wingsuit, or you know, maybe a little bit longer. But the wingsuits were so shit. They were like one bit of material. Yeah. And like, I wouldn't jump off a cliff with that thing nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you make it, it's funny you say, I wouldn't jump off a cliff with that. <laughs> like, you know, like, like jumping off a cliff is perfectly normal. Just not with, just not with a wingsuit. Just not with that wingsuit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but mate, right. Well, we'll talk more about wingsuits and virtual reality next time, mate. we got to wrap it up now. Um, but mate, thanks for coming on today. This has been a fucking, uh, it's been a great little chat. I've enjoyed this. Oh, awesome. Thanks for having us, mate. It's good. All right, bro. Well, I'll give you a shout, mate, and we'll we'll arrange part two. I'll catch you soon. Yeah, virtual reality. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for listening today. Jamie, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. It was a pleasure. I want to say thank you again to Combat Fuel for sponsoring today's episode. You can find them down in the show notes. And before we leave, guys, I just want to tell you about something we got coming up with our friends at the Royal British Legion. Um, As I've been talking about recently, we want to make sure that you guys are getting the compensation that you deserve from the Armed Forces Compensation Scheme if you have been injured in service. Um, To that end, the Royal British Legion are setting us up with a guru who is going to answer all the Armed Forces Compensation questions that you have. Um, rather than go through individual questions because there's going to be a lot of overlap, what I suggest is that if you can send your questions or experiences about the Armed Forces Compensation Scheme to info at vsonpodcast.com or um, if you do it, yeah, do it on there basically because if you send it to me on social media, it'll get lost in the DMs. So um, send it info at vsonpodcast.com and that will help me to just be able to look at like general areas and make some questions for the guru so we get in um, everybody's questions covered when we have um, when we have our experts come onto the podcast. So I'll put that in the show notes, guys. Put, put all the details down there, the email address and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I'm very keen to get, well, very keen to get myself, to be honest, the conversation I want for my PTSD because, um, as I've said before, you know, I, I was kind of all the mentality of, um, oh god it's taken away from the blokes I don't want to do it it's absolute bollocks there's plenty of money there to go around the MPs are getting their share I'm having my share you're having your share end of fucking discussion alright I'll catch you next time I love you bye <laughs>